Taylor Strecker, and this is Younger Uncovered, a podcast dedicated to all things younger. It's Christmas in July today because not only did we get a fun holiday-themed episode last night, but we got the gift Team Charles has been wanting with all their hearts in that incredibly romantic snow globe of an ending. Here to unwrap episode 507, aptly titled A Christmas Miracle with Me, is everybody's BFF goals, Maggie herself, the one and only Debbie Mazar. Debbie, hey girl, hey. Hey, hey, hey. I'm so happy you're with me today, Debbie. Thank you for joining me on this amazing podcast. Oh, thank you for having me, Taylor, darling. (laughs) Okay, so you're here with me today to unpack episode 507, which was the the holiday episode, which was so cool to see you guys do a holiday episode. Were you guys surprised when you saw in the script that you're going to be doing that? Oh, God, yes. I mean, First of all, you know, it was spring when we shot it. So uh, Christmas was like, you know, a distant memory. And when I walked on the set and I walked into my apartment, my loft, I was like, wow, because I love Christmas. I love Christmas decorations. I love, you know, Christmas food, Christmas everything, Christmas carols. And it just it just brings me joy. It reminds me of my grandmother. And um, my loft never looked better. And there was like a Christmas tree and I got to decorate a little bit. So it was it was joyful. I know. I love Christmas. I'm like, why can't we just have Christmas last a little bit longer, right? Like I kept my Christmas tree this past year up until like late March. So you know what? Living in New York, we have so little space that by the time Christmas is over, that thing is down usually by Little Christmas, the Epiphany, which is, I think, January 6th. But, like, I'm ready to get rid of the tree, like, you know, like the 26th. Speaking of holidays, so let's get back into our holiday-themed show. So overall on the show, Maggie has an incredible relationship with Josh over the course of the last five seasons, and she's actually never met Charles. So do you think that automatically makes her team Josh? It does. I mean, I think she really cares for Josh. I know that Josh is younger than Liza. Um, I also like the idea that Liza has other interests. I never thought that, you know, Liza should be necessarily um, dating one person. I don't see why after getting out of a divorce, moving into my house, getting a job, supporting her daughter, why it's that important for her to be dating one man. So, as much as I like Josh and he accepts Liza for who she is, I've always just felt that Liza um, should not be so uptight about the whole thing and, and play her cards out. Is it more like being polyamorous or just like a guy would date? You know, I feel like guys, it's okay for guys to date like tons of girls at once. And I feel like there's like a double standard for women to date like multiple guys at one time. Oh, I don't agree with you. I mean, there is a double standard maybe back in the day, but I think that that doesn't really apply. I mean, it certainly didn't apply for me before I got married. I, I like to have different dates and kind of like mix them up and <laughs> hope I didn't get busted. I love that. Yeah, no, it, it, it added to the excitement of the date. Like, oh my God, I'm seeing this one, that, you know, it was a very exciting time. I highly recommend it. Did you ever double book like two in one night? Like uh, Charlotte did in Sex in the City? Probably not. Probably not, just because, you know, just too busy. But I have crossed, back when we used to have call dating, Uh I did cross phone calls. So one time I told a guy that I wasn't available to see him. And then I called the next guy and be like, oh, my God, guess what? I can, I can like, you know, hook up with you later on. And then I called and it still clicked on. My gay best friend... (laughs) I'm like, girl, you have no idea what just went down. I said, I just canceled one, booked the other. 
Well, they all heard the conversation. <laughs> so uh, that was that was my bad, but um, yeah. So needless to say, you didn't have dates with either one of those guys, or did they still say fine? No, I, the one that I blew off like hated me oh for God. years, and I would see him at acting class, and he was like. He was kind of, you know, like a, a, a Italian stallion macho actor. And they can often, you know, get there, especially the actor types can get wounded very easily. And, you know, n- nice guy, but it wasn't meant to be anyways. I love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. TMI. But hey. No, no such thing as TMI on this podcast. <laughs> no such thing. We encourage okay. it. Okay. <laughs> okay, okay. So five seasons in uh, to this amazing show, and we're seeing a lot more of you, Debbie, and Maggie. Would you agree or disagree with that? Like, th- that your actual personality is coming through more and more in Maggie as the seasons go on? You know, I don't think that's true because I'm I'm so different than Maggie. I'm, I'm really, like, obviously the writers will use either their best interests in terms of comedy, timing, strengths and weaknesses. Are you a physical actor? Can you do pratfalls, et cetera? I do know that Darren and our writers are, definitely have, you know, know who I am in terms of Debbie Mazar. I also don't show a lot of my colors at work because I go to work and, uh, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a big personality. I'm a good friend. I'm a Leo. I'm loyal. So I am all those things and they happen to write those things. So I guess there is a cross, but I'm also very different than Maggie. I'm, I'm much more focused. I, I'm a workaholic. I'm a mother. I'm married. I, you know, I have a very different life than her, a, a completely different life. I envy her life because she's a lot more carefree than I am. Is there a character that you are actually more like actually than Maggie? Uh, not on that show. <laughs> no <laughs> no but i like to leave it at that because uh you know for me my, my life is pretty intense and really fabulous but i i'm very very private and i'm very uh i'm very much a homebody actually people kind of have me pegged for you know this uh wild entertainer who has parties and you know with the chef husband and the truth of the matter is is that we are very kind of normal family you know when you come over you will have a good meal and you will have a good glass of wine but you know we are always working to maintain you know our rent in new york city and our lifestyle and trying to always create projects to move forward to stay inspired and that requires focus not parties so girl i get it (laughs) So fans have really gravitated towards Maggie's character, especially because she's such an amazing friend to Liza. So is there a friend in your real life that you would do absolutely anything for and vice versa? Um, I have several friends that I would do absolutely anything for. Um, I mean, I, I'm that kind of friend. Not anything. is, is I have my limits. But I've gone uh, beyond the call of duty for friends where I've lost jobs. I've suffered. <laughs> I'll give you the shirt off my back. I am that kind of friend, too, because I like to have that, you know, that reciprocated to me. And I have it not from just one person, but I have it from several people in my life. That's a lucky life, I have to say for sure, to have that. I feel really lucky. Absolutely. Because, I mean, like, you know, we all have our low moments and our high moments. And, you know, especially when you're in those low moments or confused moments, you know, instead of calling a therapist, it's great to be able to call your friends and be like, save me, help me. What can I do for you? Like, how can I help you? Um, have you ever done anything like really crazy, like a story you could tell me for a friend like Maggie has actually done for Liza over and over and over again? You know, th- I have done c- crazy things, but, but I kind of don't want to talk about them. Because that's being a good friend. 
Yeah. I mean, like I've done stuff where I've regretted almost having been a good friend <laughs> right? because like the stakes were so high and I, I've literally like lost out on some work because of it. And I've lost other friendships because of standing by certain friends. I'm getting the sense that like you like pick a side, which I kind of like you pick a team. I think picking a side is, is absolutely healthy. I think I have friends that don't pick sides and then you wonder like where their allegiance is to. Uh, but I don't, I don't judge those people actually. Mm-hmm. I just go, okay, they've made their decision and I've made mine, but I'm sticking by this person. But I'm also uh, slightly vindictive by the way. So Ooh, yeah, that takes me to my next question. Uh, okay. So, well, in this episode we actually see, so Jake actually sees Kelsey with her double dipping. So of course she's hooking up with Zane. She's hooking up with, uh, with Jake. And when he sees, Zane kiss her at the party. Instead of confronting her, he tells Charles to take Zane off the book. Mm-hmm. So I have to ask you, is that something that you would do? Like, would you go for the jugular? Totally. Or would you, like, just confront the situation? Well, it just depends on how much he really uh, likes the girl. I mean, you know, how much he likes Kelsey. Obviously, he must like her a whole lot, but it's also on him. He's able to use his power to do something like that, which is really shady. Right. But it's also... If he really thinks he's going to get the girl by doing that, it's vindictive, but it's effective. Now, like, he's out of the way, period. I know that sounds horrible, but uh, I kind of, like, think that sometimes if there's reason to be slightly vindictive because you're angry or, or, or you can be, it makes a point. As long as no one's getting hurt, per se. Yeah, Zane just getting put in timeout for a second. It's not like he's getting fired from his job. Yeah, but, you know, at the end of the day... Um, the two of them shouldn't have been on it together to begin with. That was kind of complicated. I know. And Jake kind of set that up for himself. Like he created this like three's company moment. It was his fault. Well, I mean, I mean, I could see why he'd be jealous because that Charles is fine. Oh my God. Let's talk about Charles for a second. What is it? Can you put like your finger on the tangible thing that is because everyone just swoons around him, self-included. And I like girls. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he's got a cool factor. And what's nice about him is he's got an air of mystery for real in person. Like, you know, he doesn't just jump in and try to be one of the crew. Like, he, you know, he holds his own. He stands back. He's very groomed, very well dressed, but in a way that's sexy. And you're kind of going like, what's his story? Mm-hmm. Um, but I've gotten to know him and he's, he's really, really smart. He's into photography. He likes to travel to places like Cuba. He's got some hot girlfriend right now that I see on Instagram. Like he just, uh, he's a serious actor, but he also is somebody that seems to enjoy culture and life. And uh, and he's, he's really fun to talk to. Yeah, I adore him. Adore him. Let's talk about Maggie's character in this episode. So you uh, were excited about your new art benefactors. But in this episode, you actually break it off with them because you realize that they've literally given her golden handcuffs. So I want to talk about Maggie's decision to be like, I mean, have a lot of integrity and choose her art over her money. That's not really a decision that everybody would make. That's Maggie's decision. But what would you do in that situation? I take the money. Girl, me too. (laughs) She's making art. I don't particularly think her art is necessarily going into like the museum. Um, It might be going into a gallery, but then it's going to get sold anyway. So who cares where it goes or where it gets seen or who owns it? I don't know. I, Somebody wants to pay you a ton of money. She still has the right to say, hey, you know what? I don't feel like going on this trip with you guys or being part of your little clique. Like, you give me the money. Here's my art. Like, nice, nice. Bye. She can make more art. 
I would have taken the money, me personally. I love you. Me too. I was like, what is she doing? <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. I respect integrity, but come on. And <laughs> I would have also taken that fucking bracelet. Like, bang. Right? It looked kind of like um that love bracelet, right? That one. It's a Cartier. Yes, girl. Just put them on one arm. Don't make them actual handcuffs. What's wrong with you? <laughs> that's the thing. I was like, you know what? I don't know what Maggie's doing right now, but I got to go with this because that's how it's written. But I would have taken the cash, the bracelet. Thank you very much. Uh, I'll, I'll go make some more art and sell you some more art. Like, she can make more art. I'm with you. Like, who cares? Yeah. I don't, like, sleep on it. Rip it up. Set it on fire. Whatever. Yeah, burn it. Yeah. <laughs> it's money. I agreed, yeah. How much money do you think? Because, like, that was a question in my mind watching the episode. I was like, I wonder how much money she did. Because when she's like, I looked at that check and I, oh, I almost died. In your mind, what was the check for? Well, I think it was for several pieces. Because uh, they come to my apartment and she's like, we'll take them all. So I'm guessing... It had to be at least a hundred grand. Girl, I'm with you. Because I would think like one is maybe five, one is 10, a very, very large one. So you could charge 50. I think that, uh, you know, she's already been you know, in the Whitney Biennale. She's done a couple of prestigious, you know, uh, over the seasons, a couple of, so I, th I think her art definitely sells for like five to, you know, maybe a hundred. And I think that given that she lives the artist life, she doesn't have a regular job. Like actors, like you need to take that money and then stretch it out. Because you never know when the next job's going to come in. Exactly. Totally, totally get And it. now she has no money once again. But she's got her integrity. <laughs> it's almost like yeah. how much is like your soul worth? Well, you know what? I mean, I don't think it's about soul. I think when you do a painting, a lot of your energy goes into doing a painting. Um, it's objective. But I think that when you make that kind of art, it's there for other people to enjoy. So... I'm sure that whoever owns Keith Haring, Jean-Michel Basquiat, whatever, like Andy Warhol, like there's probably a, some people that are assholes that own those pieces of art, you know? Probably. And it's like they still sold it to them. Yeah, I mean, like the last Jean-Michel piece that was sold went to auction for an insane amount of money and it was paid by, I think, a Japanese guy. And he bought it to put it in a museum so other people could enjoy it. Oh, wow. And he paid like a ridiculous amount of money. I know it's like, $40 million or something, something extremely crazy. And it was just so that he could put it into this museum for people to, to share it. it. It's kind of incredible. Like people spend money and they, they can do what they want with it. And he chose to make it like public. That's the goal is to get to that point where you can, like you yeah. have so much to throw around. You can just spend it on other people's happiness. Right? Amazing. I know. Well, so in this episode, Maggie makes a very difficult decision in her career. Have you ever had to make a difficult choice in your career? Um, I've had a couple of careers I've had to make difficult choices in. One being um, when I was trying to become an actress, but I was still doing makeup. I literally had a scene in my class to perform. And I had a, a job at the time to do a commercial doing makeup. And I think I was going to make $1,000. And I canceled the job because I needed to do this scene. It was like a John Patrick Shanley play and I was, you know, doing a character and it wasn't for like a show. It was just for my class. So that was like one of those moments. I've had other moments later in my career where I've had to stand up to producers. I've had to yell at them and ultimately get like fired because we didn't get along. One example, um, I was doing the Wanda Sykes show it was a pilot and we had some asshole director who like, was yelling at me because I was pregnant and I couldn't close my legs because when I sat down, my stomach was like low. So I was sitting there on the couch and like, you know, I was wearing pants, but he goes, I like, can't you angle. I said, I can angle my body, but I can't close my legs. Well, you need to close your legs. I can't close my legs. <laughs> I have a baby down there. 
And then I stood up and we got a total, like, almost screaming match where, like, I was ready to, like, kill him, basically. (laughs) (laughs) And they realized that in moving forward, it it wasn't going to be the easiest to have me on the show. So that didn't work out. But those decisions where you go, like, do I shut up? Do I stand up for myself? Or another time, um, I was offered a TV series down in Atlanta. It was uh, 22 episodes, a network, one of the series regulars. But I had just moved back to New York. And I have two teenage daughters. And I thought to myself, I need to teach my daughters how, you know, like they're going to get their periods. Like they need to get acclimated to New York City. They got to learn how to take the subway. Like I can't just like dump my kids with my husband who's from Italy into like Brooklyn, say, okay, good luck, and be in Atlanta all week long shooting a one-hour show, which I would have made a really good paycheck, but I made a decision to stay home, which I was jobless at that point. But the good news is I was available during a snowstorm for an audition to meet up with Jared Starr, and I booked younger. What a great story! So see, everything kind of works out for a reason, but a lot of times I do believe that you have to go with your heart instead of your mind. Absolutely. So you know what? In a way, you are kind of like Maggie in this episode. You know, it's like you you go with your heart. You go with what you believe in. Yes, that's a very good point. And it will all work out in the end. So yes. Maggie's going to get, she's going to sell her paintings for millions of dollars. <laughs> Listen, I wish that I, Maggie would have made that money, to be honest with you. I love you so much. I still want her to make that damn money. Maybe they'll bring that woman back. Maybe we'll get that Japanese guy to give her $40 million. So in this episode, Liza goes to the holiday party with David and Caitlin, where they do their traditional family performance of The Lonely Goat Herd. Yes. And to Liza's horror, Charles walks in. But first off, is it so much fun to get to see, like, a Tony Award-winning actress, performer, I mean, like, sing and dance? Well, to be honest with you, I never get to see Sutton sing or dance because she does a lot of, like, little goofy things on the set, like, you know, when we work together. But she made sure that her character never sang or dance. And for this particular episode, it was great because I wasn't there, but I got to see it, you know, on TV where she's um, going for it. And she's such a joy to watch because she has so much energy. She hits the notes. She's got legs from here to Canarsie. <laughs> she's just a joy to watch because she is such a professional. I, I mean, it's enviable. I mean, I, I've seen her on Broadway and a few things and I just look at her and I'm just like, it's a different Sutton than it is at work. It's not Liza anymore. It's Sutton Foster. How how so? Uh, well, because Liza's character is kind of nerdy and nervous and Sutton on stage is really confident. She's a different person than when she's just hanging out normal because she's quiet. She's extremely private. She sits there in between scenes like knits scarves and blankets she'd rather like look down and knit and, and think she's a great mom and you know she has tons of great friends but she's a very very private person so when she's with us this cast of younger it's a safe place because we are a well-oiled machine together five seasons and real comfort level to you know, talk and be friends and share tidbits of our lives but when she is with her theater people and on on stage she's in her happiest place i mean the girls just performed at the Hollywood Bowl, okay, with Dudumel. He's this incredible orchestra director, and that's like her happy place is like, you know, the stage. And um, she just lets it rip there. It's great, and I'm really honored to work with such a talent. Oh, God. Well, you're such a talent too, Debbie. Yeah, in a different way. I mean, I'm a different big character in a different way. But that's what's nice about our cast. We are all extremely different people. Um, millennials. I mean, I'm the oldest, I think. Maybe Peter Herman is. I don't know. But 
I think it's me. <laughs> <laughs> older. That's the next show. Older. <laughs> that's your spinoff. Spinoff. Yeah, totally. <laughs> when did it click with the cast? I mean, was it like from day one you guys were all just like boom, like it was like automatically family, or does it take time for those relationships to grow on set? Oh, yeah, you know, it's cyclical like anything else. I mean, we see each other for like three months every day, on and off. So it grew, but you know, we all live in different parts of the globe. So once we wrap, I mean, it's like, bye, see ya. And we might bump into each other or have dinner, you know, possibly or make a phone call. But it's taken like, to this point to get them as tight as they are. I mean, there's certainly our cast members who are, you know, that see each other more regularly. I keep in touch with kind of everybody intermittently. It's nice. A text, hey, what are you up to? You want to grab a bite? Molly's moving into my neighborhood. No way. Yeah, yeah. And, and Nico and I see each other, uh, you know, from time to time. We talk to each other more. I think I talk to Nico more than anybody. I feel like he's kind of like my little brother in a way. I love that. Yeah. And I don't mean that to make him sound less mature, but, you know, the, the guy's gone off and done ayahuasca. And is having this whole new like life. He's finding his spirituality, which is wonderful. It's also the availability. Like you know, Peter has kids. Sutton has kids. Miriam has kids. Miriam and I actually like will meet up and have dinner here and there. I love that little girls' night out. Really like a family. It's it's a lot of love. It is. It's really nice. I mean, it's I wouldn't call it like a family. No, we're not. We're not like a family. <laughs> no, you know, his family is blood, and we're not blood. This is like. We are fellow thespians that really dig each other and, and respect each other. And, and we're friends. It's not a, but family's sacred to me. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's fine. Hey, I respect what it means. I totally get it. Well, in this episode, finally, Charles and Laza have a nice moment in the office where he's starting to kind of understand. He It clicks after he sees her with her daughter doing a silly dance. It's like, right. oh, right. She did this for her kid, which is like also what happened with Kelsey last season. He says, it's amazing the things we do for our kids. Finally, we're like, okay, this is going to work itself out. Which brings me to the unbelievably romantic final moments of the episode where Charles shows up uh, on Liza's doorstep and says, I don't care anymore. And then he plants this like, oh, I have chills my body, this dreamy kiss on her in the snow. Oh, I'm just like swooning. So <laughs> from the looks of that kiss, okay, it looks like it is on for Charles and Liza. Yeah, game on. So the audience has been patiently waiting yes for something big to happen i've been patiently waiting me too <laughs> so do you think the audience will be disappointed in what's going to happen in next week's episode oh yeah no they're going to have a fun roller coaster ride and they just need to make sure they, they're in front of the air conditioner with a, with a you know some electrolytes <laughs> and maybe one of those things you pop open with ammonia so they don't faint perfect <laughs> I'm going to leave them with that. But before I let you go, I'm going to ask you about uh, your favorite New York moment. Because this this kiss on the stoop in New York, it's just so friggin' New York. And you're such a New York person. Mm -hmm. um, what do you find romantic about New York City? New York City is sexy in general. And uh, the music's pumping out the window. And New York City, to me, it's modern. It also has a lot of history. So I just find it sexy in the fact that it's a place where you know, it was inhabited by immigrants and it, there's just a lot of flavor here. You know, there's those iconic kisses at the top of the Empire State Building. I've had one of those myself with my husband. 
and like walk through Central Park, Prospect Park, you know, the High Line, the harbor, going on a boat around the city. It's a sexy city. It's a city that never sleeps. It's so true. And it really doesn't. I know because I'm up at the ass crack of dawn, so I can contest to that. Yes. Although the people that are up when I get up are not the sexiest. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's too dark, so you just can't tell. Exactly. Anyway, Debbie, you're a dream. I adore you to bits and pieces. Thank you so much for joining me. You got it. Thank you so much to Debbie Mazar for being here to recap this winter wonderland of an episode with me. I cannot wait to see what's going to happen next week on Younger so we can talk about it in explicit detail right here. And yes, that was a hint. Wink, wink. I'm your host, Taylor Strecker, and this is Younger Uncovered. Debbie, bye. Thank you so much. Thank you, Taylor. I'll talk to you later. 